Macworld Podcast number 432 for November 3rd, 2014, brought to you by Zero beautiful accounting software. Welcome to another episode of the Macworld Podcast. I'm Chris Breen, and again with me is my co-host, Susie Oaks. Hey, Susie. Hi, Chris. How's it going? It's going well. How are you doing? Good. Good. Uh, we have stuff to talk about, as we do every week. And uh, I think maybe we start with the iMac with Retina 5K display. Um, yeah. Review came out. Yep, we just posted the review. Just posted the review. Spoiler, loved it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I think it's worth reading. Maybe. Only yeah, because, no, totally worth reading. Yeah, because I wrote it. So, yeah, you, know, you worked it, hard on that thing. I worked hard on that darn thing. And um, have you actually seen one, or did you just look at the box and send it to me, and that was it? <laughs> Um, yeah, I saw I saw one at the event and played around with it for a little bit. They had them set up. And then, uh, yeah, when Apple sent us the one that you reviewed, I took it out and took some pictures of it and sent it to you. Right. So I haven't gotten to use it, you know, for long stretches of time. Right. So you didn't really get to bathe in its glory. No. And I mean, I don't work with a lot of high res images since we work on the internet and nothing really needs to be, you know, bigger than 72 DPI. And then um, I also don't edit any video. So I felt like this wasn't really, I'm not the the audience for this particular iMac. I mean, you know, I, I read a lot on the on on the screen. Obviously, it's like my, my main job function is reading right. stuff on the screen. So for that, it, it, you know, it looks great. But I was hoping that you could use it since you edit videos for, for Macworld and stuff that, you know, you might have a, a better perspective on it than I would. Yeah, I think, although I do think that if you work with text a lot, that would make a difference. Okay. And um, because I, I heard people's reactions to the thing, seeing it at the Apple announcement and people going into the um, Apple stores and going, oh, this is a religious experience. This thing is so amazing. And I really expected huge things when I first turned it on, you know, that there would there would be something amazing that happened. And honestly, I had it there next to an older 2012 27-inch iMac. And it was certainly brighter. But if as you stood across the room, they look exactly the same. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, the form factor is exactly the same. And yes, the retina display is brighter. But when you stand across the room, you go, okay, I guess mm, I'm looking at the Yosemite desktop kind of looks the same to me. Um, so it requires a little bit uh, closer examination. And so I sat down and looked in both of them directly and realized the first thing I noticed, at least, was the menu bar was a little hazy on the old one, where it seemed like perfectly clear before. But now when you compare it to the retina display, it's not quite as well focused and tack sharp as is the retina display. Mm -hmm. Then you open windows and you look at text there and go, okay, now I'm starting to get it that text is very, very sharp. And so I think for people who work with text a lot, as do you and as do I, I don't know that you would have this warm glow over you all day using this thing, but I do think that maybe your eyes would be a little less fatigued simply because it is so clear and um, and it's I don't I didn't find it as wearing I suppose on my eyes as I do at the end of the day I'm I'm sure I'm still rub them if I'm staring at the thing for ten hours but um, that makes I'm, sense yeah because I I think that's one benefit for people who use text so and then as you say images on the thing are spectacular particularly if you zoom in on them you yeah. notice that the older displays are a little hazy a little fuzzy. Again, not bad because, and I don't want that to come out from the review. Um, 
I think Apple's displays are really good, even the non-retina displays. So the fact that the old display doesn't look wretched, as I think maybe an iPad 1 does compared to a retina iPad. Yeah. I just picked up my iPad 1 this morning and I was like, wow. <laughs> yeah, did you feel like, wow, oh, there's something in my eyes? And I yeah, to- yeah, yeah. Everything looked very fuzzy and you could really kind of see the, dif- you know, the, the distance between the glass and the screen. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's more noticeable than it is now. They've, they've really gotten rid of all that. It's not that experience with the iMac, and I think that's kind of what I was expecting is this mm-hmm. night and day sort of difference, like, wow, I can't stand looking at that one anymore because it's not Retina. It really is just sort of a refinement to it. Um, it's subtle. Again, unless you start working with really high-res stuff, and then the difference is pretty shockingly clear. Yeah. That if you're using, like, 4K video or something or mm-hmm. a really super high-res image, you can see the fuzziness in the older version versus the newer one and you realize that if you're doing image editing for a living if you're doing video editing for a living that it would be worth having that said i have the really powerful mac pro in my uh as part of the testing i was doing and i think when this first came out people were saying oh i don't i'm not going to buy a mac pro because it's too expensive and it turns out this imac with retina is actually faster than my mac pro so why would i get a mac pro And the answer to that is, for single-core tasks, yes, it is faster. But if you're using multiple cores, as you would be with Logic Pro 10, Final Cut Pro 10, anything that's taking advantage of a bunch of cores, it's not faster. That the Mac Pro still is much faster than the iMac with Retina display. So those of you who have purchased the Mac Pro, don't feel bad that you've suddenly been supplanted by this $2,500 computer versus a $3,000 or $4,000 computer, that your Mac Pro is still top of the heap in terms of multi-core tasks, but not for single core, which I thought was an interesting observation as I went through the testing on it. I expected the Mac Pro to be faster all across the board, and it's not. Okay. And then what else about it? Um, The fan came on when I was really hitting the thing hard. So I had ripped a, um, only for scientific purposes, and I think this is clear with the copyright office, I ripped a Blu-ray disc, took the main feature out of it, and then I ran that through Handbrake, which is a very processor-intensive task. The Mac Pro did it in about an hour and a half. It took the iMac with Retina display to do it about two hours and 24 minutes. But about four minutes in, the fan came on, and it didn't stop all the way through. So it was, you could tell it was working hard. Yeah. Um, the older iMac didn't, though. It, its fan was off the whole time, and it was huh. perfectly quiet. Yeah, which I thought was interesting. So I think the, the Retina display, the power required for that, in addition to hitting that processor really hard, did make the fan come on. And I think it's for people who are doing work, particularly in a sound studio, that's going to make a difference. Because if they're recording in there yeah. and the fan comes on and they're going to, not so much. Whereas the Mac Pro is just dead quiet. So um, Yeah, that's, that's a big advantage reason. to the Mac yeah. Pro in those situations. But otherwise, I just thought this was a really beautifully done iMac. The fact that they can do that display and if their claims are true, and I expect they are, that this thing runs with 30% less power than the old one, mm-hmm. that's amazing. That is amazing. I don't know. How, I mean, clearly, they're very, very smart people. And they've shown us. I think Apple was really proud of this one, and they, they talk a lot about the technology, about how it was done. 
for the reason that I think they probably got to the end of it and said, wow, this is kind of an engineering marvel. Yeah. So kudos to them for doing a great job. Yeah, I mean, the, the Dell 5K display that has the same resolution costs the same, and that's just a display. Yeah. So Apple's throwing in the computer for free. Exactly right. And if you're going to get the Dell 5K or 4K display, you need two separate Thunderbolt buses. So yes. that means you've got to have a Mac Pro because there isn't anything else on the market from Apple that does that sort of thing. And that's kind of where you're stuck. Yeah. So then by the time you get done with all that, that's several thousand dollars. Yeah, it's a significant amount of money. So for people who I think are doing hobbyist to prosumer kind of work, I think this is an excellent iMac. And even for people who just want their images to look as best as they can or look as good as they can and, um, and do kind of a lot of single core stuff, absolutely a great Mac for them. Otherwise, where it really makes a difference is having that Fusion Drive in there. So I could certainly see people getting a less expensive iMac, but then throwing a Fusion Drive or an SSD in there. And um, and then they would gain the benefit of that read-write, which is really helpful. The older iMac I had in here had a spinning hard drive. And boy, with read-and-write tasks, it was so slow in comparison yeah. to the SSD and the Fusion. So, um, uh, yeah, thumbs up. Thumbs up for me. Cool. Cool. So, I have to send it back, right? Yeah. Mm. I know. They want it back. Really? <laughs> if I just whine a lot on the we, podcast, I mean, we, do you think... We, we can wait for him to ask for it a couple times. <laughs> well, actually, <laughs> they put a FedEx slip in there, which yeah. I think was a very strong hint, like, send it back, yeah. send it back, send it back, that's, send it back. That's very thoughtful of them, too. Yes, wasn't it, though? Yeah, no, it was very thoughtful of them to do that. They want to make doing the right thing the easy thing. Yes, you're right, yeah. No, okay, <laughs> I'll send it back. But um, I do like it very much. And, yeah, uh, I wish it was ours for keeps. It's a it's a very nice machine. It is a nice machine, but then we have to fight over who gets it. Yeah, I still have the, the thick iMac at home, so when it's finally time to, to replace that, I would probably go Retina before I would go regular iMac. Really? Because, yeah, yeah, I think that's, I mean, that's the future. And uh, I do read a lot um, all day, so... Even without doing, you know, really painstaking pixel for pixel photo and video work, mm -hmm. um, it's just those those screens are so nice. And then that's that's what you use when you're using the computer. You're moving stuff around on the screen. So, the the, the Apple's just spoiled us with their beautiful screens. And the the nicer the screen, the nicer the the tool. I think. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree with you. So I'm anxious to see if they can ever pull off a Retina on the MacBook Air because I think that would be terrific yeah yeah the thing i love about my macbook air which is my main work machine is um i got the not not the one they refreshed this summer but the one they refreshed like last fall when they they put haswell in it mm -hmm. and that thing just goes and goes and goes the battery life on it is spectacular still i mean i've had it for about a year and it'll last all day like sometimes i kind of get in a bind where i for i just don't carry my power brick around with me and most of the time that's fine and it's never an issue. But if I'm trying to work away from the office all day, I'll start noticing it's like around 20% at like four o'clock in the afternoon. So, yeah, right. so yeah, it's great. I have to, you know, actually set a reminder if I'm going to be somewhere where I might need my power brick. So that's been great. And that's going to be the big, you know, factor, I think, if, if they will be able to go retina on that. And it won't necessarily be the cost. It'll be you know, is it going to take a big battery hit? Because that's right. like the, the best thing about the air is just how long you can use it before you have to charge it up. 
Yeah, and I think maybe this battery technology or the power technology built into this new iMac is a hopeful sign. Yeah. The fact is that they can drop the power 30% and still power that display indicates they're clearly thinking about power consumption and retina. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe that is the kind of breakthrough thing they've done with the controller they've got in there so that it can really manage those pixels down to the nth degree and squeeze every bit of power out uh, as they possibly can. And then also using perhaps a different kind of processor in the machine so that you're not looking at something that's just going to suck all the power out of your battery in just a few hours. Because I don't think people are going to put up with that anymore. It's not like the old days where you get two, three hours out of a charge and then you know, you're stuck because yeah. you don't have swappable batteries anymore. So you're kind of stuck with that one battery in there and you've got to get a full day's work out of it. Otherwise, you're going to feel cheated. Yeah, and the the Retina MacBook Pros do pretty well. Apple quotes up to nine hours on the thirteen, and up to eight hours on the on the fifteen. Um, I haven't used one of those in a while. I don't remember getting quite that much, but mm-hmm. but, the, but they're, they're still designed to last all day. So I think, yeah, they know that whatever they do, like the the battery life can't go down. It has to stay the same or get better. So that's yeah. probably what they're working on. Yeah, I think so. And plus, Apple's been pretty darn good about battery life estimates mm-hmm. over the past several years. I think early on, and I'm talking about like the iPod days, they really took those out to kind of the extreme and said, yeah, you can get 10 hours if you do, you know, the following things and stand on your head. But it wasn't long before they finally, people would run battery tests on these things and find out that Apple was actually pretty conservative about things. So I think yeah. when they give you these tests now, they're reasonably reliable, depending on what you're doing. Of course, if you're doing high-end stuff that's hitting the processor really hard, then yeah, you're probably not going to get their estimate. But you're not going to be radically underneath that. I think you'll be in the ballpark. And then if you're just doing light-duty stuff, you're probably going to exceed it. So we'll see what they what they do. But I think that's the next step for them. Right. Uh, another next step is the Apple Watch. Yep. So I guess that's coming out in the spring now. Yeah, and how do we know that? Um, Angela, what's her last name? I'm totally blanking. Aarons. Yes, Angela Aarons, thank you. She told somebody, <laughs> I'm a little <laughs> behind on this story. I think it was somebody in China. She said, said by the way, uh, coming out after Chinese New Year's. Oh, okay. Or be there prepared you, you know, for something to happen after Chinese New Year's. Okay. Hmm. And so I think people who were lining up thinking, oh, gosh, uh, maybe um, January, February, I can have it. And I think Chinese New Year's falls in um, February sometimes. So, okay. So if you were lined up, if you're getting your camping supplies together, <laughs> not so much. You may, you know, take the time you need to, to wait for this to happen. Maybe you'll be able to bring a lighter sleeping bag if it's going to be a little, little later in the year. You don't need your January sleeping bag. You can bring your March sleeping bag. Yeah, you can bring your March sleeping bag. <laughs> um, and so I, I'm assuming that this is, one, they want to ramp up manufacturing. They want to make sure they get it right. And they probably want to make sure they have enough of them. So yeah. that you, it isn't one of these things like like the Nexus 6, for example, that just came out and they, I think they sold like 10 of them and said, okay, we're all sold out. <laughs> uh, so I think they want to have lots and lots and lots of them so that uh, that people can walk in or order them and get them within that week or whatever it is that they're going to have to wait in order to get them. 
Yeah, and I feel like seeing is going to be believing on this. So mm-hmm. if they can get a lot of them out there being used, then you know people. I, I guess they're going to let people try them on at the store, which is a really smart move since right. there's so many different straps and and there's two different face sizes, and you really need to like see them on your arm. It would be it would be hard to just order online and be confident you were picking the right mix. Um, so that's smart, but then yeah, like, even outside the store, they need they need people out there, you know, wearing these and evangelizing for them because it's it's going to be more irresistible once you once you see it at work. Yeah. So given that people are going to go in and go, you know, look at the various models and then look at the various straps. What's that going to be like in the Apple stores during that first week when they actually have them in stock? Yeah, well, I mean, the Apple Store is a is a happening place on, already. On, already, so yeah, it's gonna be nuts. It's gonna be really nuts. It'll be like when you go around around when the iPhone comes out, and you're like, I really just need a cable. I I only need a cable for something, and I, I'm not here to get an iPhone. Please let me in. And sometimes they, have, you know, they'll have like a line of here's all the people that are waiting for the iPhone. Here's all the people that are waiting for the Genius Bar, and here's the 10 people who are not interested in either of those and just want to buy a cable. So yeah, maybe they'll have to, you know, triage it or something. I don't know. The Apple store is going to be going to be zany when the Apple watch comes out. Yeah. I was in New York, um, last week, week. Yeah. And I went to the fifth Avenue store, which I'd never been to before. Oh, cool. And it was zany then. Yeah. And there was nothing going on, but there were still people lined through the store, and I also went to the Grand Central Station store. Oh, and that's the one I want to go to. That looks really neat. It was it was very cool. I mean, the Grand Central Station itself is amazing. And yeah. then to kind of just walk in and suddenly, oh, there's like Apple stores kind of scattered around here, which was great. But there were lines everywhere, and it was packed. And again, this was a month after the iPhone 6 has been out. Mm-hmm. Uh, new iPads, which people were kind of looking at. They were looking at the Retina. But it wasn't like a big thing happening. When this watch comes out, it's going to be huge. And maybe this is part of what Angela's first jobs are going to be is to, um, you know, route traffic through there because there it isn't going to be like, I want this, bag it up, get out. It's going to be, oh, let me try this one. I'll try that. I'll try that. Oh, let's oh, let me try it with this band over here and we'll try that band over there. And do I really want gold? Gee, that seems like an awful lot of money, but it's awesome. But oh, wait, what happens after a year? And I want the next one, and I've just dropped how much money on this? Oh, I don't know if I want to do that. Do you think they're going to have a trade-in program? I hope so. Um, John Gruber made a really good point that with these high-end gold watches, even just, you know, a lot of those have trade-in programs, I guess, because they can they can sell the gold. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, if they can separate the gold from the technology inside and just, you know, upgrade your technology and kind of give you credit, I guess, for the gold you already bought, then, then yeah, that would, that would be great. I mean, especially on the high end, maybe for the sport, it won't be, it won't be quite like that. But I mean, they already let you trade in your old phone and your old iPod and stuff. So it seems like a natural extension of that policy to let you trade in your Apple watch. Yeah, I would think so. I think it would be more like a lease program, really, so that yeah. you've you've got it for a year, yeah. and as long as you don't screw it up. The, the salesman I'm, calls. He's like, "What can I do to get you in a new Apple Watch?" Exactly, <laughs> and you're gonna you know you're gonna want one because yeah. the next one will come out. It's it's not going to be as thick as the. I mean, I'm already calling the new one thick, but 
you know, the next models are going to be thinner. Yeah. Eventually, they're not going to require that you have an iPhone with you. So they're going to become a solely operational device. And of course, you're not going to drop, let's say, 5,000, which I think would be reasonable for a, a gold watch of that size. Let's say you drop 5,000 or $6,000, and the year comes along, and suddenly there's a thinner, cooler, faster, everything better watch, and you're stuck with this thing on your arm going, well, I'm not going to pass this down to my kids or my friends, so what do I do? I think there has to be some kind of trade-in so that yeah. you don't feel after you're like, oh, man. I mean, on the other hand, you could also say, well, what did you expect? You bought a really expensive thing, and of course yeah. a new one's coming out. They and should make know. it attractive, too, because otherwise, I mean, a trade-in market will crop up. Like Every oh, sure. time there's a, there's a new Apple hardware out, we get you know lots of press releases for, okay, here's all the sites where you can sell your old iPad and get credit towards your new one. And it's probably best for Apple to try to like, keep control of that for the watch. Oh, sure. And, you, and again... It should be a design such that you can pop, not you as a user, but you as Apple, be able to pop the guts out of the thing, yeah, melt it down or do whatever you need to do to turn it back into its liquid form and then turn it into the thinner, cooler one yeah. that, um, that people will buy the next year. They could use that stuff that they made the Terminator 2 out of and it could just blah, 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 into a new watch. That would be pretty cool. Yeah. So maybe they'll have a little adapter. They, you walk in and then... So... Um, <laughs> But one thing I think that um, Tim Cook was talking about stuff at, uh, at Recode, I think. And um, he heard from somebody who was using an Apple Watch and they talked about how it was great that it had an alarm on it. Um, so that while you're sleeping, you know, I don't sleep with a watch. Do you sleep with a watch? Would you? No, no, I don't. But I mean, my Fitbit does that. Like the the silent alarm, I don't know. That's not that big of a deal. It buzzes you awake. <laughs> yeah, you you can set it up in the app. You can say, okay, I need you know you you can have it wake you, and some of the other fitness bands will you know try to watch your sleep and wake you up at the right time. Um, but the, the the Fitbit will just let you set a time and it'll buzz at that time. And if you're wearing it, you'll feel the buzz. And hopefully, you know, the other people who are in the room or in the bed with you would not hear it because it's just right there on your arm. So that I mean, yeah, that that's really nice. But yeah, like like I'm sure you were about to say, who wears their expensive watch to bed and like you're gonna have to be charging this thing every night. Exactly. That yeah, and that's where I was going is yeah. that uh, Tim Cook has said, Yeah, you're gonna have to charge it every day. Mm -hmm. Just like you would with your iPhone if you're using a bunch yeah. or your iPad. But you, you could have it buzz you, you know, when it's time to take your medicine or some, some kind of daytime alarm. Right. Like I would love to you know, I I need to set up for for my Fitbit to have it, you know, tell me when it's time to walk away from my desk and go get the bus so I'm not always on the last bus home every day. Yeah. And how many Fitbits have you owned now? I am using the Flex. It's okay. Um, someone gave it to me, so I didn't do a ton of research. I was just like, oh, I could use this one that's right here. And it's been it's been pretty good. It's, it's not um, HealthKit compatible, and they've taken some flack for that. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I really care about that very much. The problem is that I wear it lasts about four days. It takes me another three days to realize that it's died, and then I, it takes me like five days to find the charger and put it in the charger. So... It, it always just, you know, I'll use it for a week and then it'll be dead for a week because I'm not on top of it enough to charge it. So so even, you know, something like the watch where you had to charge it nightly, at least I'd get in a routine where I would put it in the same place yeah. every night. But right. yeah, the Fitbit is meant to, you know, track your sleeping when you're asleep. So yeah, you're supposed to kind of wear it all the time. And then it's supposed to give you a notification before it dies, but I feel like it 
doesn't or I just never see it or I don't know. So it's been kind of hit or miss. Yeah, and I think getting into that habit of plugging in your watch is not going to be difficult. I have a watch that mm-hmm. uh, is self-winding. You know, it needs motion in order to wind. So I got a little watch turner for it because that's what you have to do. Otherwise, you pick up your watch after a day and a half of not wearing it and it's dead and you have to reset it. Yeah. And I've just gotten into the habit now. When I get home, I take the watch off. I put it into the watch winder. Next day, if I'm going to wear it, I pull it out of there and put it back on again. So it's it wasn't it didn't feel like wow, this is such a drag that I have to put yeah. it in. Doing something every day is easier to remember than doing something every four days. So right. so the fact that you have to charge it every day, like, you know, that might end up to be kind of a convenience, especially yeah. since, like, it's it's pretty big. Um, I, I would not be, it, it might not be really comfortable to wear all night. Yeah, I mean, even I have a fairly slim watch, and I still wouldn't wear it at night. It just yeah. like for what? So I can see what time it is in the middle of the night. Yeah. Oh, I have insomnia. It's three a.m. Right? <laughs> <laughs> that was helpful information for me somehow. Um, we have other stuff to talk about, but before we do, let's hear about Zero, which is beautiful accounting software. Zero, spelled X-E-R-O, is the online accounting software and platform for your small business. With Zero, it doesn't matter if your small business is brick and mortar or online. That's because Zero was born in the cloud and built in the cloud. This means that you can manage your accounting anytime, anywhere from your Mac, PC, iOS, or Android device. Sign up for a 30-day free trial at zero.com slash podcast to manage your invoicing and get paid faster. Get an instant view of your cash flow, track your expenses on the go, and manage all of your financial reports. You can even collaborate with your accountant or bookkeeper in real time whenever you like. Zero seamlessly integrates with over 350 best-in-class business tools to process mobile payments, manage payroll, run your back office, and much more. It's no wonder that over 370,000 customers in more than 180 countries use Zero, and you can too. Sign up for a free 30-day trial at zero.com slash podcasts. That's X-E-R-O dot com slash podcasts. And not only that, Zero randomly selects five people a month who have signed up to receive a mystery box of goodies called Zero Plus from a company that already swears by Zero. Zero, beautiful accounting software. Okay, next up, um, Office for Mac is coming out in 2015. Do we care? Um, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> That's an enthusiastic endorsement. I mean, the last one came out in 2011, and it's 2014, and didn't they say last year that it would come out in 2014, and now they're saying 2015, so it's just kind of like, just put it out, and and, and we'll, you know, we'll use it when it's out. <laughs> and be done with it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I mean, so I, I used to work m- more on the print side, and now I'm pretty much online only, and the big uh, freedom in that has been that I don't use Word as much as I used to. And I never use PowerPoint, and I do like Excel, but I mean, you know, the the things that I use Excel for, like, aren't really being improved anymore. Like, I use it for really basic spreadsheets. So mm-hmm. I am not excited, personally, about Office for Mac. Yeah, I was hoping that Outlook would be increasingly awesome because I use Outlook and I like it a lot because it has really good filtering and I use filtering a ton. I use a lot of rules Mm -hmm. for the email I get, which is why 
PR people don't hear back from me. Um, but <laughs> it's it, why you can get your work done instead of answering email all day long. Exactly, because I have filtered this thing to an inch of its life. And uh, so what they did do is they released a new version of Outlook. So if you're using Office 365, which is something we have at work, you get this as just come and get it. And I downloaded it, and it's very pretty. It doesn't look all that different. I mean, in terms of, sorry, in terms of functionality, it's not very much different. Uh, they've kind of put a new interface on it. They've changed a couple of things, but it's not a radical departure, which is fine for me. What I hope is that its little database doesn't get corrupted all the time, which is the biggest oh, beef yeah. I have with Outlook. Um, and then it works a little more seamlessly with Apple's stuff, because sometimes the two of them do not get along. Um, for example, Outlook will work really well with Exchange, and Apple's mail doesn't. Yeah. And it hasn't for a long time. And Outlook's not going to fix that, I know. But this is kind of one of those incompatibilities where something works with one thing, but it doesn't work so well with the other thing. And it would be great if Outlook worked better with Apple's calendaring and contact stuff, but it doesn't because the sync still isn't working all that well. Um, so they want you to live in Microsoft's world, and I don't want to live in that world. I want to live in both worlds. So do all my email in Outlook and then do everything else with Apple stuff, and the two just don't talk well together. So that part of it is a little clumsy, and I don't think that they've addressed this at all. So nice, prettier Outlook. It looks, it looks very Yosemite-like, which is nice, so that you don't have kind of that old-looking interface on there. Yeah. Yeah, the apps that haven't been upgraded for Yosemite, you can kind of, they're starting to, to stick out a little bit. Yeah. And then as far as people caring about Office, I think people who work with other people who use Office care mm -hmm. because they're having to deal with people working on PCs, who, and that's where they live. They live with Office, and they're sending you stuff. And yes, you could open it in Pages or use a text editor or do something else. But it is easier if you're just working in the native format so you can do things like track changes and, and keep everything kind of in sync between the two platforms. So those people, I think, are going to care. It's, yeah. I think the boat has sailed, however, on those people who are Mac users who are getting really excited about Office because of whatever new features it brings. I think people have felt like Word has been bloated for years. What more can they make it do? Um, spreadsheet junkies love Excel because it does everything and I, maybe it does more of everything or will do more of everything but I don't know what that is because I'm not one of those people yeah um, if Outlook had an iOS version would you use that because they got they, they have you know Word and Excel and PowerPoint on the iPad now and they're pretty great and you have to have Office 365 but once mm -hmm. once you're, you're using that it's really nice to be able it's the best you know way to be able to edit Word docs on the go. There's been third party workarounds before, but but you know it's it's finally here. So, but Out, Outlook was missing from that. Yeah, well, I think it's because Apple has made Mail proprietary sure. on, uh, on iOS. So it's just basically like, no, you have to be here, much like they've done with Safari. And if you want to open something in a web browser, it automatically goes to Safari. And unlike on a Mac, you don't have the option to say, no, 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 that's not my web browser of choice. I want you to use Chrome instead or mm -hmm. Firefox or something like that. And that's what they've done with Mail. Yes, if they brought a form of Outlook to iOS that allowed me to filter junk mail, set up filters... Um, where I'm not having to do it on the server, but I can actually do it within the email client, um, delete a bunch of stuff at the same time. Uh, you know, all the stuff that I can do on my Mac, 
if I could do that on an iOS device, that would be great. Although I'm getting used to configuring stuff on the server side, so it isn't quite as painful. Yeah. But, um, you know, when I do get those 700 PR emails a day, it would be <laughs> great if on my iOS device it, it knew my rules for dealing with that stuff and it put them in the right folder instead of just putting it all in my inbox where I have to go, no, no, no you go over there. Yeah. And there. Yeah, I played with the Outlook web access app on the iPhone and I just didn't like it. It was a little clunky and mm -hmm. yeah, so I you know, I get my exchange email on my iPhone in the mail app. And since, you know, most of my rules are server side, it does a pretty good job, but I would just kinda like to see what an outlook on the on the iPad could be like. Yeah, and I don't have a I don't have a knee jerk reaction to Outlook. I think a lot of people who aren't familiar with the background of Outlook think, Oh, it's Microsoft, so therefore it's awful because I think people are still head up about Microsoft although I don't know why it's sort of like kicking a puppy now yeah we won <laughs> yeah, exactly don't be mean to them anymore they're still they're, they're struggling over there yeah um, but originally this thing came from it was the Claris emailer team that went over to Microsoft and they brought all that code and the people with it to create Outlook for the Mac so this is rooted in people who like Mac stuff and if you looked at the earlier versions of, well, Entourage before it became Outlook, it was very much like Claris Emailer. So I don't think there's any reason to root against them. I think it's still one of the best email clients around. I think people have gone, or developers have increasingly gone to sort of Google-only clients, which is fine if you live in Google, but I have accounts all over the place, and I find the flexibility of Outlook is better than what I get from mail, which is perfectly reasonable for 99% of people. But if you're a real, somebody who lives in email a lot and does a lot of filtering, mail just isn't quite up to it. Yeah. Yeah, I recently tried to switch from Outlook over to mail just for fun. And I realized that I was using a ton of keyboard shortcuts in Outlook mm -hmm. that I didn't want to set up again in mail. But I just, you know, yeah, the, the the way that the contacts don't sync is kind of a problem because I love the Apple, you know, way of doing contacts where you can just click on someone's name inside the email address and it'll add it to the contacts and that's that's all very intelligent. You can mark people as VIPs and and all that stuff. So I I would, uh, you know, Outlook doesn't have some of that. So yeah, I kind of want the the hybrid of both, I guess, and I haven't found the the perfect email client for me yet. Um, we're we're working on a story about about email clients. I think they're all for iOS, but that that should be up soon. Okay, good. Well, um, those developers out there who have time on their hands, mm -hmm. could you please design the perfect email client yeah, for just please. me? Just for just, me. Yeah, or just or you know find somebody to go back and resurrect Eudora, which I think people were really keen on way, way, way back in the day. Because yeah, it was, was an good. amazing, amazing email client, but um, it finally died after struggling for years and years and years. Um, Beats. And I don't mean the red tuber or whatever that, <laughs> whatever that thing is. Because I'm not keen on those. Yeah. Um, Beats Music is now going to be taking to the skies and not through you know, Wi-Fi, but rather it's going to be on an airline. So, I mean, Southwest is now going to support beat streaming. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, I, I fly Southwest a ton. And yeah, I, I was talking to, to Caitlin who wrote the news story and she's like, hey, is it fair that I call Southwest a, a budget airline in here? And I was like, yes, they're a budget airline. Um, 
because they don't so they're they have a unique budget approach to entertainment where they don't have seat back entertainment options at all but if you bring your own device which you know almost everybody i know will have a smartphone or a tablet on them when they get on a plane um, you can connect to their portal and you don't even have to get the Wi-Fi subscription if you want you know, to use Facebook and tweet and stuff. You have to pay for Wi-Fi. But they have a whole bunch of entertainment options that are free and that use the plane's Wi-Fi, but they're you know, provided on a complimentary basis. So you can watch um, a bunch of direct TV channels. So I always kind of get my Bravo fix because I've cut the cord on, on, on land. But then when I'm up there in the sky, I'm like, okay, great. I'm going to watch four hours of Millionaire Matchmaker and then... <laughs> And won't watch Bravo again for months. So, yeah, you can you can watch some on-demand stuff and some even some live you know satellite TV. So now they're rounding this out with with some music, which is really nice. So if you forgot to sync your music to your phone, I don't keep a lot of music on my phone because I'm mostly streaming, and that's great until you get up in the air and whatever you you had synced to your phone, that's that's what you have. So. So it'll be kind of cool to be able to augment that a little bit with Beats. Yeah, and I think it was a smart marketing move by Beats slash Apple. I think when people hear about streaming music services, they recoil and say, what, I'm going to rent my music? Never, never, never will I do that, even though you do it with your TV and everything else in your life. Except yeah. somehow music is different. And I think exposure is really the part of it that if you – allow people to use the thing for a while, they start to see the benefit of it. Like, oh, really? I can stream 15 million tracks if I want to? And through Beats, having it curated the ability to then have somebody deliver to you a playlist of good stuff so you're not having to search out old Leonard Skinner albums, but instead, you know, getting stuff that might be of interest to you. I think it's very powerful. So to put that on an airline, at a budget airline that's very, very popular... I think ultimately will be helpful to the Beat service and to Apple in that more people will be using it and say, oh, this is worth subscribing to myself. And then you can do it on land as well as in the air. Yeah, you got a captive audience for sure. <laughs> yeah. And, and by the way, you'll still be able to stream your Taylor Swift stuff because she's, as of today, as we record this, she's taken all her music off Spotify. Yep. Breaking up with Spotify. But nobody else, which seems odd to me. It's like, because none of them pay well. Yeah. So it's not like Spotify is somehow the, the bad guy in this. Their streaming is not profitable for musicians. So I applaud her for doing it. I think yeah. some people are making fun of her over it. And I absolutely don't. I think if she's not getting paid what she thinks she needs to get paid for having her music streamed, then she shouldn't offer it. She's a big enough star to do this and just say, nope, I think we should all get paid more. And so here, Spotify, I'm going to punish you. But I do think it ought to be across the board. And so take it off RDO and Beats and Rhapsody and, and every other service that's that's streaming your stuff. Yeah, I haven't seen a good explanation behind, you know, why Spotify and not Beats or RDO or the others. It may be that she and her people are really going after maybe the most popular one, which I think when people think about music streaming, they think Spotify immediately, which is interesting yeah. because it's it's a relatively new service compared to RDO and Rhapsody and some of the other ones. Yeah, they got kind of a head start outside the US and it's still sort of new here. Um, right, and the fact that Facebook jumped on it immediately, so that gave it a, a higher profile. Yeah, 
maybe it's just like a thing where she's trying to negotiate a better deal from Spotify and then she will pull it off the other ones or I don't know. There's probably, it's maybe this is a, she's looking a few moves ahead and we're just not, not privy to all the, the, you know, what's coming. Well, she, Taylor, if you want to email me about what's actually happening yeah, here or Susie, know. you know, let us know. Come on the podcast. That would be great. I hear she has a new album out. Maybe she needs to promote it a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, and, and then the new album isn't on any of them yet. Like that's right. they're they're gonna sell as many as they can sell for a while. And and other people have done that, like Beyonce's album last year. It was iTunes exclusive for a while and then eventually it went everywhere. So I haven't heard the new Taylor Swift album yet because I subscribe to RDO and I'm waiting for it to pop up there. Yeah, I haven't my daughter was went through her Taylor Swift period. And now she's so over that. Okay. And so we don't hear Taylor Swift anymore. So I don't know if I'll hear it um, because she probably won't play it if and when it becomes available for streaming. It's called 1989. Is that the year she was born? I'm Googling. Uh, yeah, Google that and find out. Or maybe her parents were Oh, she was born in December of 1989. Wow. She is uh, young. And I'm really old. Good for her. Extremely old. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, um, yeah, again, Taylor, welcome on anytime. <laughs> we'll give you five minutes. Um, and the last thing I wanted to talk about, and and not talk about it in a salacious way, but I think in a, in a way that this reflects something about Apple, and that Tim Cook penned a, uh, an essay last week saying, hey, I'm gay. And um, I was pleased for a couple of reasons. One is that mostly the reaction was, yeah, so, <laughs> which was great. Yeah, um, it was good that people weren't, you know, like, oh, well, I, I'm so shocked. And there wasn't a lot of like pearl clutching about the actual revelation, which was really nice. I thought so, too, because I put my fire suit on and went into our comments on that story. And I was just thinking, oh, man, there's going to be some wackos that show up in here and, and get really angry. And uh, and there weren't. I mean, there was like one guy. And, uh, and it was time for him to go. And so he did go. Oh, nice. Um, Good job. Yeah, thank you. It's one of my favorite things to do. <laughs> it is very satisfying. <laughs> it is kind of like, oh, really? Yeah, okay, you're gone. Well, the fortunate thing is, and this is for all of those people out there who, who edit forums and comments, is that um, if you set up the proper keywords, their stuff never actually makes it to live state because they've said enough horrible things that it's automatically filtered. And then you as moderator can go in and go, whoa. And you're gone. So that was, uh, that was again, satisfying. Uh, but the other part of it is that I think this says a lot about Cook's control of Apple, that he, I mean, he's been pushing sort of the environmental issues for a while, uh, labor issues in China, um, talking a lot about kind of civil rights and human rights and this sort of thing, which Steve Jobs never did where he's turning this more into his company. And I think this is a point where he walked the walk and just said, hey, I'm gay. Uh, you know, I've learned a lot from being gay. I understand what it's like to be the underdog. I've developed a rhino skin over this. Mm -hmm. And it's a good, you know, it's been a good experience for me to be CEO. So I think this puts more of the stamp of Tim Cook on the company. Again, kind of leaving the Steve Jobs legacy behind, saying this is who I am. This is who Apple is. And uh, let's march forward being kind of more open. And I, I, I really appreciate that as much as Apple has done wonderful things for years and years and years. To see a more openness coming from the company, I think, is terrific, not only as a journalist, but also as somebody who loves Apple's products. 
Yeah, yeah. Kara Swisher wrote a really great um, kind of reaction to this where she said, you know, like I've interviewed Tim Cook on stage at uh, at All Things D and at um, Recode and you know, like she can, she's gay and she considered just asking him if he was gay, but she was like, you know, would I just be asking him to, for it to be a big story or, you know, she just didn't feel like it was her place to ask him, but she said that it's really great to be able to, to like know the real Tim Cook and to be able to say hello to the entire man, I think was one of the, one of the yeah. lines in her piece and it was really great. So, and then Casey Newton um, over at, I think he's at The Verge. Um, he, he wrote a really nice thing, too, about, like, yeah, I mean, I, I, when I was preparing to come out, then, I, you know, I looked around, and and if it, it would have been really helpful and comforting to me to see, you know, a big luminary in tech that I could relate to, um, you know, going through the same experience. So, so I think that some people were like, oh, who cares? Like, this isn't important. Like, it, it, it might not be important to you, but it was definitely important to a lot of people. And yeah. so I'm, I'm glad that he did that. It was, it's a really good essay. If you haven't read the whole essay, um, it's kind of all in there. Like he says, like, look, I mean, I'm a very private person and I haven't told people a lot about myself, but it's not because I'm hiding. It's just because, you know, I really like my privacy. But I've decided that, you know, if 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 knowing that the CEO of Apple is gay and that that's, you know, there, there's no barriers then if that could help someone who's struggling with their own identity, then then it's worth it. Then it's worth the privacy that I'm losing right now. So so yeah, like the if if all you saw was the news and you didn't read the essay, like go back and read the essay. It's really, really good. And you you really get to Yeah, it, it's nice to to know, you know, to know Tim Cook a little better because Steve was very, you know, private and yeah, it's 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 a switch. And Apple has been doing a lot more. Um yeah, in the, in the human rights and the equality spaces. So, so yeah, applause. Yeah, good for him. And I think it also signals something about generally um, CEOs in tech mm -hmm. that I think we had that period where you had these very imperious dictatorial CEOs, you know, who could get away with just being not very nice people. There's sort of the Larry Ellison's and the Balmers, and certainly Steve Jobs fits that as well. Um, Carly Fiorini over at HP where you could get away with being kind of a jerk because you were running this big company and, and uh, you know, you were brilliant. And so you didn't have to, you know, be a very open and wonderful person. And I think we're seeing that era starting to slip away, that people are less inclined to put up with that, yeah. either as employees or consumers, and just saying, you know, you, you can be powerful and rich and, and smart, but you don't have to be a jerk. Mm -hmm. and uh, And I think... I don't know what, you know, obviously I don't know what Tim Cook is like in a meeting. I'm sure that I would sweat profusely and uh, and wither under his gaze. But at least his public persona seems like this is a human being versus a robot and, and a not very nice one who happens to get a lot of stuff done. So um, I appreciated it for that reason as well. Yeah. So I think that's it for today. Cool. Cool. Okay. So we're done. And uh, we'll be back next week with more stuff. There's always more stuff. There's always more stuff to talk about. Yep. So this episode of the Macro Podcast was brought to you by Zero, which is beautiful accounting software. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to drop us a line at podcast at macworld.com. And thanks very much for listening. 